Right, we will actually um, take a moment to pray for some of the needs in our community later on, but we'll go ahead and go straight into the text. Uh, before I read the text, I want to, for those of you who weren't here, today is Pentecost Sunday. So Pentecost is 50 days after the Passover, and traditionally it lands on the seventh, seventh Sunday following Easter, and today is that day. Pentecost is the day that we remember we remember and celebrate the greatest gift that God gives to us now, which is the gift of the Holy Spirit. Um, you know, I think a lot of us grew up in a tradition where we asked Jesus into your hearts, right? How many of you guys ever asked Jesus into your heart? Come on. It's okay. We're, we're evangelical. We, we ask Jesus into our hearts, right? And, you know, but I, I want you to know Jesus isn't in our hearts, like right now, like Jesus is, where is Jesus? He is seated at the right hand of God, right? Jesus is risen. A few Sundays ago was Ascension Sunday, and Jesus is at the right hand of God doing what? He's interceding for us is one of the things he's doing. He's sustaining the world. He's head of the church. He's doing all of that. So Jesus is at the right hand of God. I mean, uh, you know, as Literally, as you can take that, what is the who then is in our hearts? It's the Holy Spirit, right? The Holy Spirit. God's gift to us is the Holy Spirit. The very God, the very creator God, the sustaining God, the Holy Spirit dwells in us. And that's what Pentecost Sunday is about. And we celebrate that gift. And the meaning of the Pentecost is that God gives us the Holy Spirit so that we can be what? Witnesses. We can be his children. Those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. And we cry by that Spirit, Abba, Father. So all of that is today, Pentecost Sunday. And it is really timely that we are looking at Nehemiah 3. Because up to now, the past four weeks, we've been talking about preparation to build a wall. Today, we actually go into the building of the wall. And what a, what a wonderful coincidence or providence that we, look, we are looking at this passage about doing the work of God on Pentecost Sunday when God gives us the Holy Spirit to be his witnesses, to continue the work of Jesus in this world right now. So with that in mind, let's, uh, I'm going to read Nehemiah. Um, I was going to read the entire chapter 3, but I think it would have been a little bit difficult. So I'm going to read Nehemiah 3, chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. It's, gonna, it's, it's a difficult passage because it's just kind of more like a genealogy passage. And I'm going to read chapter 4, verses 1 through 6 as well. And I, I know sometimes... Um, you're not used to kind of listening to uh, some of the details of the text, but I, I hope you try to glean something out of this. I want to read chapter 4, verses 1 through 6, along with today's passage, because in the Hebrew Bible, uh, chapter 4, verses 1 through 6 is actually part of chapter 3. And I really do think that these six verses in chapter 4 really are the end part of chapter 3, and that's why I wanted to include it in there. And today is really about the actual building of the wall. So with that in mind, let us listen to uh, the reading of God's word. Then Eliashib, the high priest, rose up with his brothers, the priest, and they built a sheep gate. They consecrated it and set his doors. They consecrated it as far as the Tower of the Hundred, as far as the Tower of Hananel. And next to him, the men of Jericho built and next to them, Zakur, the son of Imri, built. The sons of Hassanah built the fish gate. 
They laid as beams and set as doors, as bolts, and as bars. And next to them, Merimoth, the son of Uriah, son of Hakaz, repaired. And next to them, Meshulam, the son of Berechiah, son of Meshazabel, repaired. And next to them, Zadok, the son of Baena, repaired. And next to them, the Teokites, Tekoites, repaired. But their nobles would not stoop to serve their lord. Joedida, son of Pasea, and Meshulam, the son of Besodiah repaired the gates of Yashana. They laid his beams and set his doors, his bolts, and his bars. And next to them repaired Malatiah the Gibeonite and Jaden the Maranathite, the men of Gibeon and Mizpah, the seat of the governor of the province beyond the river. Next to them Uziel, the son of Harahiah, goldsmiths repaired. Next to him Hananiah, one of the perfumers repaired. And they restored Jerusalem as far as the broad wall. Next to them, Raphaiah, the son of Hur, ruler of half the district that Jerusalem repaired. Next to them, Jediah, son of Hadumap, repaired opposite his house. And next to him, Hatush, the son of Hashabaniah, repaired. Malchiah, the son of Harim, and Hashab, the son of Pahath Moab repaired another section and the tower of the ovens. Next to him, Shalom, the son of Halohesh, ruler of half the district of Jerusalem, repaired he and his daughters. Now, when Sambalat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, we were building the wall, he was angry and greatly enraged. And he jeered at the Jews and he said in the presence of his brothers in the army of Samaria, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore it for themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish up in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish and burned ones at that? Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him and he said, yes, what they are building, if a fox goes upon it, he will break down their stone wall. Hear us, hear, O our God, for we are despised. Turn back their taunt on their own heads and give them up to be plundered in a land where they are captives. Do not cover the guilt and let not their sin be blotted out from your sight, for they have provoked you to anger in the presence of the builders. Verse 6. So we built the wall, and all the wall was joined together to half its height, for people had a mind to work. This is God's word. Let us pray. Father God, we now come to you and ask that you will speak to us on this Pentecost Sunday, Lord. Help us to see the walls of the kingdom been built around the world through the power of your spirit, through your people, and help us to see ourselves as part of that work. Oh God, help us to see ourselves as part of the work that you are doing in the world, building the kingdom of God. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I want to start with a little story. Uh, someone you may have heard of, it's very common, it's, it's a very pliable story, uh, sort of a parable, meaning that it can be used in various contexts. And you'll kind of know what I mean once you hear the story. You'll hear it in a lot of seminars, but it's a, it's a story that was originally found in, in a book, little book called What Can a Man Believe, written by Bruce Barton in 1927. And it's a story of the rebuilding of uh, St. Paul's Cathedral in London. And 
And it goes like this. After the great fire of 1666 that leveled London, the world's most famous architect, Christopher Wren, was commissioned to rebuild St. Paul's Cathedral. One morning, he passed among the workmen, most of, most of whom did not know him. And of the three different men engaged in the same kind of work, he asked the same question, what are you doing? From the first, he received the answer, I am cutting the stone. From the second, the answer was, I am earning three shillings and sixpence a day. But the third man straightened up, squared his shoulder, and holding his mallet in one hand and chisel in the other, proudly replied, I am helping Sir Christopher Wren build this great cathedral for the Lord Almighty. And the story ends with this observation. These are the three ways of looking at life. One, I am just cutting the stone. Two, I am only earning a living. And three, I am doing a small part of a great work. I have not seen the architect, and I do not altogether understand the plan, but I believe there is a plan. So I work with good spirit, in which is no fear. So ends this little story. What are you doing? Or to put it in another way, if we were to do a little imagination exercise, let's say that it is 30 to 40 years from now, and one of you is writing a memoir of your life and what God has done in your life. And in that memoir, you are looking back at that season, the years 2019 through 22 or 23, during the years when a disease known as COVID-19 wrecked havoc in the world. When churches ceased gathering in persons. And you are recounting your time at a ministry at a church called THMCEM. And you are telling that story how for a season THMCEM, like many other churches, ceased to stop, ceased to gather in person to worship. But then the pandemic eased up and people regathered and there was a sense of God doing something here and that you were part of that work and you are telling that story now 30, 40 years from now and you're recounting some of the things that happened during these years. My question to you is, would you be in that memoir? Would that person write about you? So and so, you know, John, Joe, Elton, Zoe, Linda, or Jeanette, or, or Samaj, or all of you out there. I, I, I'm not going to name every name. But would you be remembered? Well, they say, I remember Sam did this. Or Linda did this. What are we doing here at this time now? Today's passage, I just want to make two observations. 
And before I make the two observations, I want to remember last Sunday, Nehemiah last Sunday, in his last preparation to inspire, to challenge the people to rebuild the wall, does two things we talked about last Sunday. He does one that is external, meaning that he goes and observes firsthand the situation, right? He wins credibility for the people to say that I am, I am aware of what is happening. I, I did not only hear about the gates being destroyed by fire. I did not only hear about the walls being torn down. I have now seen and observed firsthand, right? He does something external, but more importantly, he does something internal. He shores up his conviction that what he is doing is something of God. And this is so important. In chapter 2, verse 12, he says, What God had put into my heart to do for Jerusalem. What God had put into my heart to do for Jerusalem. He saw his work as something that God had put into his heart to do. What are you doing here today? And, he, and then he conveys that conviction. He con, as the, part of the leader, the role of the leader is to pass on that conviction and vision of what God is doing so that others also see what God is doing and become part of what God is doing. So when he rallies the people, when he inspires the people, what does he say in verse 18? He says, and I told them of the hand of my God that had been upon me for good, and also the words that the king has spoken to me. And they said, let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for the good work. He convinces the people that what they're about to do is a good work. Something that God is in. Let me ask you, what are you doing here at THMCEM? What is God doing here? If you don't see the greater work. See, I love that story about Christopher Wren. I'm a bit of a, uh, I, I, I'm a, bit of a contrarian myself. I, I kind of roll my eyes at pithy parables or sayings. And I would say that the three things that they talked about, right, in that little story that I told at the beginning, I am just cutting the stone, I am only earning a living, I am doing a small part of a great work. I believe you need to have all three. I don't think having just three is enough. To see that we're doing a small part of a great work isn't always enough to inspire us and keep us going. We need to see all three elements, right? We are doing something practically in front of us. Whether you're singing praise, whether you're preparing the chairs, or rather you're doing the audio visual in the back, or you're preaching, or whatever your role is, you have to know what you're doing. I am cutting the stone. I, I know what I am doing for this church. And, and sometimes our work has, you know, we're part of a project. I'm earning a living. It has a means to an end, right? But then behind it all, the grand purpose of it is that we are part of a great work. We're doing a small part of our great work. We need to do, we need to know all three things. We need to be aware and cognizant of all three things that are happening at once when we are serving God.
And so in today's passage, we see the people of Israel rise up, right? Now notice at the end of chapter 2, they said they strengthened their hands and rose up. In the very first verse of today's passage, Elijah, the high priest, the text reads, rose up and began to build. There's a connection. There's a flow. As they begin to build, we notice there are two observations I want to make from today's text. And the first is that there is a great number of people needed to do God's work. It takes a great number of people to do God's work and a diverse group of people to do God's work. If you read the entire chapter, you see all kinds of people. You know, uh, the first person name today, do you, do, what, what, do you remember the very first verse? Eliashab, what was his calling? It was a high priest. High priests probably aren't the best mason, aren't probably the best wall builders. But yet, even though he's called to something, he realizes the need at the moment and begins to help rebuild the wall. You got high priests. You got, we read, perfumers. You got goldsmiths. You have people who are building walls in front of their house. You have people who come from other cities to help build. You have a diverse group of people all working together to build the wall. Nehemiah, this is so, so important. And this is important for us. Okay? And um, I'm just going to... I'm going to do my best to plead with you and just, just, I'm going to ask God to help you see this for yourself for this ministry, for this work at THMCEM, okay? It takes a whole lot of people to build the wall. There are no room for bystanders. The people of Israel, the walls were destroyed, the gates burned by fire, and it lay there for years. Okay? So now think for a moment. It lay there for years, right? No one started building the wall. They could have built it at any moment. Could they not? How many days did it take to build the wall? 52 days. Less than two months, okay? At any moment... During the time that the people of Israel were there and the walls were broken, they could have built the wall, but they didn't. They, were, they needed something, right? What did they need? They needed someone like Nehemiah, a leader with a vision. They needed a spark, a catalyst, right? They needed Nehemiah to believe that it was God's good hand, God's desire for him to help rebuild the wall. They needed a spark. But Nehemiah is a spark. He comes and he inspires the people and convinces them that rebuilding the wall is God's plan for them, that God's hand is upon them, that God wants them to do this. But as important as Nehemiah is, Nehemiah can't build a wall himself. He needs people. And that is how great work of God is always done. God uses people to inspire and to give visions, but it always takes a larger group to get the work done. 
one of the things that I've learned being an outsider, I didn't grow up in this church. Being an outsider coming to this church and talking to many of you who have been coming here for a long time is the stories you, is how connected you are to THMCEM. Some of you who've been here a lifetime. Cradle THMCers, right? What I hear often is how your parents or people you knew started this church, right? There was a vision. There was a small group of people they got together and they felt God wanting to do something different and they started a church and they had a vision to send people to support missionary work and to gather people for worship and the church grew and God blessed it. THMCEM also needs that. It needs a vision. It needs, it needs to recognize that you aren't here just because they needed another service that was in English so that their kids can come and worship or that the neighbors and the community can come. If that's all there is, it probably won't go very far. What THMCEM needs is a vision. It's a vision to see that God is doing something for you all here and for the community, right? And that vision needs to be adopted by the larger part of the group, and the group needs to do the work themselves. It's a group project. We need all people, all hands on deck. The greatest, the greatest misconception about being a believer is that you have this option to be a passenger on this journey of the Christian faith, that we are passengers where we come on Sundays and just worship and then go home and, you know, there are others who are going to do the work. They're the pastors and the praise leaders and the volunteers. There are others who are going to do the work and I will just go ahead and participate on Sunday. That is a misnomer. When you are baptized as a Christian, and every Christian should be baptized, when you are baptized, do you know what you're baptized into? You're baptized into ministry. We are all called to be priests. We are all called to be the body of Christ. We are all the hands and feet. We are all part of this work together. And that's what Nehemiah's rebuilding of the wall is. It's a whole lot of people working together, a whole lot of diverse people from different backgrounds in different sections of the wall, different sections of the area Jerusalem and also working on different sections of the wall. And the second observation that I want us to note from today's text is that no one person is building the entire wall. There's about 40 different sections that is described today, about 40 different sections. It starts, no one can know precisely archaeologically, but it probably starts in the northeast section of Jerusalem wall, and it goes counterclockwise until the wall is complete. And in chapter 4, verse 6 says, it says that, the wall was complete. There were no gaps, right? It was a complete wall built halfway. Okay? And it takes about 40 different sections. But no one person is doing everything. You're focusing on a small part. And that's the hardest thing. There, you know, one of the things I was praying, and I was, uh, as we were worshiping earlier, I, I, was, I was praying to God. I was kind of like just being honest and saying, God, like, um, 
you know, I'm not, I'm not the permanent pastor here. I'm not like the installed pastor. I'm sort of an interim pastor helping church transition. I'm called to help this church in transition. And it was almost as if I was challenging myself or the Holy Spirit was asking me, like, do you, are you here just to kind of help them for a season and just move on? Or do you also believe that there is a vision? Do you, do you believe that God is doing something here? And are you part of that? And I do. And one of the things that I felt in my heart, and I don't know if you'll resonate with this or not. You may or you may not, but I resonated with this. This is what I felt really strong in my heart is, what are one of the things that we want to be known for at THMCM? If you want, you want to be known for great music, you want to be known for great preaching, you want to be known for being a good-looking people, you know, I, I, had a, I had a friend, I had a staff at, at my at work when I was working at Fuller, and he was interning at a church, and uh, he, he was kind of a big guy, and he, and he told me one day, he said, like, yeah, Pastor Sam, the church I go to, man, they're all good-looking people. I was like, I, sometimes I just don't feel I'm, like, attractive enough. I'm like, I just laughed. You know, I'm sure that church wasn't promoting itself as, come if you're good-looking. I'm sure it wasn't, okay? But he felt like that. But what I'm saying is, if there was a quality that you want to be known for, what would it be? You know what, what I would love for us to be known for? Is that there is this wave. There's a current that we live in that is so, it's not all bad, but the way it is currently expressed is really one of the reasons why America is going through the travails that it's going through and that is individualism. There's a current that says, I as an individual is the most important thing, right? The part is more important than the whole. It's always about looking out for number one. And so the church, and so the church becomes a group of individuals gathered together to grow in their own personal life. I want to grow in my walk with God. I want to grow in my spiritual formation. I want to know more about God. What is God doing in my life? How is God healing me? And it becomes a very much a collection of individuals gathered to worship God. And if you look at the Bible, it's always about the community. It's about corporate body. The individual is not lost. God knows you by name. He knows the number of hair on your head. But the overarching concern is that God redeemed not a person, but a people. That in heaven, people from all nations and races will gather to worship God. It's about the community. I would love us to be a place that when you come, this is a place where you buck against the current of individualism and say, I am not the most important thing that is happening in this world. That the kingdom of God is the most important thing. And I am part of that work. I want to cultivate that. I want to push against the tide of thinking what we do is the most important thing. I want us to start feeling the weight of the entirety of God's redemptive plan. And, and then... And the moment that you feel overwhelmed, go back to, this is my small piece of the wall I'm building. Imagine, Nehemiah, you're building a small piece of the world. There's a whole lot of wall being built elsewhere that you don't know about. But you know you're part of that. But you're focused on your small work. It's a both and. 
And I want us to have that here. We have to be connected to what God is doing in this world and then say, this is our part in that great work. The world is hurting, friends. The world needs to know that God is for them, that Jesus Christ died for them, that God is strong. That we sang that song um, through the, the, the oceans roar and the thunders and so forth. And it says, I will soar through the storm, I will soar above the storm with you. You know, I, I sang it this way. I know it's not, I know it's bad to change the, uh, the original intent of the artist, so I, I feel bad doing it, but I sing it. I don't soar above the storm. I soar through the storm with God. We soar through the storm, not above it, for the sake of the world. Amen? T-H-M-C-E-M. See what you are doing here as a small part of building a wall of the greater kingdom of God. You ever finish this jigsaw puzzle? What was the... Anyone, what's the largest number of jigsaw puzzles anyone's ever done? Anyone do like a 1,500? Okay, all right. A 1,500 as far as I went. I have, a, I have a friend of a friend. We went to their house. They did a 10,000 piece, and they put it on their wall. Imagine you're doing a 1,500 piece puzzle, and you come, and you're all done. You put in 1,499 pieces, but there's one piece missing. Is it whole? It's not whole. You may be one of 1,500 pieces, but you matter. The body of Christ is not complete without your participation. Amen? T-H-M-C-E-M, let's build our section of the wall in the kingdom of God and know that God is doing great things. With that, um, I'm going to ask... Justin, to put up the prayer. We're going to pray this prayer together. Today is Pentecost Sunday. And we're going to pray this prayer together. I'm asking the Holy Spirit to empower us as we do the work of God. Okay? Let us pray together. Living God, you sent the Holy Spirit to breathe life into your church. Let us no longer be captives to fear, but messengers of your saving love so that all may be reconciled in you through Jesus Christ, our peace. Let your spirit, our advocate, guide us still, preserving us from judgment, protecting us from sin, and leading us into the righteousness so that we may testify to the good news, fullness of life and joy for all through Jesus Christ, our Savior, and in the unity of the Holy Spirit. Amen.